This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they've faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking to Barry Lira, the founder and chief executive officer of Diffuse HR. Diffuse HR is a HR legally compliant software system which manages the entire employee lifecycle. This is something we utilize here at Alexander Spencer and we love it. In today's episode, you'll hear about the importance of HR documentation and why it must be implemented correctly. You'll learn how to manage staff performance, aid those who are underperforming, and the most important policies businesses should have in place to set clear guidelines and expectations. Let's jump in. Barry, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Savan. Really excited about today's topic and what we're going to talk about. Tell me a little bit about your business, Diffuse. So Diffuse is a HR software application built around using modern technologies, which is software as a service. Our concept is all about providing organisations and primarily in the small to medium-sized enterprise type businesses with the process necessary to manage your employees. All too often, companies don't have processes in place, can't afford HR experts in there and get into a lot of trouble. So our process is built around documentation and methodologies to help companies run their businesses. So is it pretty much all the documentation that a business owner needs to have staff involved as well as the process to manage those documents? I guess the interesting part about all of HR is is understanding the process and how it works. And I always talk to people about two things. Where does an HR process start and where does an HR process end? Quite simply, the HR process ends when someone leaves a business and I jokingly say even when someone's carried out in a pine box. (laughs) The more difficult part is actually understanding where HR or that process begins. And most people would say, oh, when I do the job ad or when I give somebody an employment contract. But in reality, the process needs to start way before that at the point where you're thinking about your business and what type of people and roles you need people to do. In doing that, you'd then say, look, we need to start looking at developing job descriptions per particular role. So a job description needs to be in its first instance, something that is a little bit open that could be utilised across the board. And then when you bring people in specifically to that role, you can adapt it. So for example, if you've got a sales team of multiple salespeople, but certain people do certain functionalities, at the end of the day, the sales team will run the same process, but they may have idiosyncratic differences that you would adjust in the position description. From there, you need to look at how an employee is covered under employment law. And whilst I'm not a lawyer and so I can't give you any (laughs) advice on that, it's quite complex in the sense that we're covered under the Fair Works Act in this country and you then determine how an employee sits under potentially the national employment standards and working its way down to a modern award. The complexity comes about the point as to saying, where does this person fit? And you could have 
two people doing the same role in two different types of companies. So for example, a receptionist working in a legal firm versus a receptionist working in your firm, in an accounting firm. You'd say, well, they're doing exactly the same role. They should come under the same modern award. They actually don't. They come under different modern awards. And so complexities rise into determining where somebody sits under a modern award. And then when you're in that modern award, what are the relevant elements of their role that need to be covered by the the role. So where we take it in the very first instance is to help you determine where an employee sits under modern awards. So our system, indifferent to other HR applications, has been built around looking at industries. So we would say, let's take the accounting industry as an example. What sort of roles would you find in there? And I think we've today evaluated something of in the vicinity of 25 to 30 different roles that you might find in an accounting industry. And then we will take it down to understanding what modern award, if they fit under a modern award, they sit under. And then from there, we provide companies with employment contracts that they need to use, HR policies, which are very, very important, things like code of conduct, social media, anything that you can think of that's important in a work environment and the process by which you can onboard people and manage people through their whole life within your company. So we might dive deep into those documentations, employment contracts and policies. So Mm -hmm. why is business owners required to keep correct documentation? Why is that so important? To be clear, an employer isn't required to keep it. If you as an employer decide, I'm not going to give somebody an employment contract, that's your business. It's not the law's business. But you do need to know that that employee that you have covered or employed is actually covered by an employment contract because the modern award will dictate how you are supposed to employ a person. So if you don't give somebody an employment contract, that's fine. They'll utilise the modern award. The difficulty is, is the modern award is based always on minimums. So it says where this is the minimum that you need to give somebody. Now, a minimum doesn't necessarily work very well for an employer because an employer says, well, okay, does that mean the employer can ask me for more? The benefit of an employment contract is is that you as the employer can actually determine what the maximum is. You can convert the minimum into a maximum, which by law you're allowed to do. So the purpose of giving somebody an employment contract is to really explain and understand what the employer is being engaged in the role, not necessarily to do, because that comes across in the job description, but in accordance to employment law. No different to a proprietor doing a contract with a seller of any goods or services that they buy. You don't just go and buy a new office makeout without the builder giving you a contract and telling you what all the items are. So you've got to check some balances. It's the same thing with an employment contract. Excellent. So small business doesn't actually have to have an employment contract. And if they don't, it's governed by the Fair Work Act and it'll be at least the minimum that the employer needs to do. Yeah. We as a company always recommend people utilise our processes because we've had HR lawyers check the documentation that we've got to be fit for purpose for your needs. Okay, excellent. And and just a little bit deeper into those employment contracts, what are some of the key areas that are covered in employment contracts? So we will have multiple types in there for an industry. So they'll start off with dealing with ones that are supportive for people on a permanent nature. So people who are working full-time or part-time and are covered under a permanent contract. Then you've got contracts designed for 
casuals. And we all know now that the law's just recently changed. I'm definitely not going to go into that. But it's very important over the last 12 to 18 months, there's been some significant changes in how you A, need to deal with a casual and what a casual is entitled to. So you need to take that into a place. We also deal with what we call uh, maximum term contracts, where you'll employ someone for a period of time. And whilst they're permanent, but it's a different sort of contract. The, the key elements that we deal with in a contract is about understanding the employee about who they work for, where they work, and how we're intending to pay them. So most businesses and small businesses will tend to pay above the award rate. And the reason they pay above the award rate is because that's how you get talent. If you're only paying to an award rate, you don't get talent. So one of the important things is the awards provide certain items that an employee can get benefit from, things like leave loadings and overtime and the like. But if you're paying somebody above the award rate and you're paying them sufficiently above the award rate, certain of these items you can offset. So for example, you may not have to pay them leave loading because you are paying them well above the award rate for that role to then say, okay, I'm paying you above it. I'm going to offset that or absorb it. So that's an important thing in there. Termination, huge, huge one. Termination is really important because it's one that the modern awards say minimum, which can cause problems later down the track in the sense that you would dismiss someone or someone leaves or the like, you've given them notice. And the award says you need to give them two weeks they come to a period of time, they say it's an unfair dismissal, I'm not going to get a job for X period of time. They could potentially be given additional weeks for notice just simply because you weren't very clear in it. So a lot of an employment contract is all about clarity. You talk about confidentiality and a whole lot of other areas that might not necessarily get covered just straight in a modern award. I want to talk a little bit, you mentioned policies and they're very important in businesses. Mm. And I know small business when they first hire their first staff member, they also don't have probably written down policies. Can you give me sort of a little bit of a best practice policies that small business owners should have in current environment? Well, top of the list has to be code of conduct. And code of conduct is about your expectation about how somebody behaves in a organisation. And we're actually changing our name of the policy, although it will deal with code of conduct, we're changing it to respect. And that's what people understand today. And that's not just about men deal with women or women deal with men, it's how you actually deal in a total environment. Areas that come off that are very important, things like social media. So how do you expect people to deal? Because everybody now has a website, everybody goes on to Facebook, LinkedIn. It's a lot more difficult to control what people say about you. So there is expectations on that. Workplace health and safety, really, really big one. You need to provide people with a statement of how you as an organisation Respect workplace health and safety and what your expectations are in, in that environment. Confidentiality. It is in the contract, sure, but how do you really want somebody to deal with confidentiality in there? You've got other policies that you can give people, things like leave policies. You don't necessarily have to give it to them. It's more about giving them access to them so that if they want to find out what the policy is in the company, you might provide people with motor vehicles. So how do you want 
people to deal with motor vehicles in accidents or how you want them to treat them. The key important thing about a policy is that it's not simply good enough to give people just a handbook. And people give people a handbook that's got 30 pages and at the back page of it, it says, well, we're going to ask you to read and sign it. And then you have a problem with them and they say, well, you never told me this. And you go, well, yes, I did. It's in page 27 (laughs) on the bottom paragraph. That doesn't work. In my mind, there are three things about policies. Number one is is to provide people with policies. Number two, obviously, is to get them to sign off, that they acknowledge it. But the most important part of all of this is to ensure that they actually understand what they're reading. In our case, within our application, within Diffuse, the policies, a number of the policies, like Code of Conduct or the like, have a series of questions that a person has to answer and has to get right before they can actually sign the policy off. And the questions are not where on paragraph three, line three, what does it say about this point? They're actual situational questions about what might happen from something as simple as, you know, you need to get something from the shelf that's a bit too high. So you pull a chair out to stand on. Is that okay? Obviously not. To the point where the question might be, you all go out for lunch as a team and one of your team members puts their arm around you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. Is that okay? So the questions are designed to help employees on two sides. Number one is is to know when things are not right and B, for an employee to know that this isn't right to do. And that's very, very important in the whole process. I want to talk about HR a little bit on the broad spectrum. Your system is awesome. We love using it. And it really helps us with our process on how we actually onboard a staff member and so on. But one of the things it does really well is deal with when we have to have some difficult conversations. So I know you're not a lawyer, but what are the steps that a business owner needs to go through in order to manage staff performance and performance management? I should qualify it by saying I have problems too with my own staff. (laughs) So what's the old saying? The cobbler doesn't wear his own shoes, but in this case we do. So the idea really is, is that People that manage businesses are not experts in everything. And one of the most difficult ones to manage is obviously HR and how you deal with people and what you say to people, because anything that you say to somebody will invariably come back upon you. So our process talks about the concept of understanding what a role does, and hence we have job descriptions. So you've provided that to an employee, but there will be issues that occur. And all too often, an issue will occur down the line of management And a manager might come into your office and say, hey, Savan, I've got a problem with Barry. And you'll let Savan come in, he'll sit down, he'll vent his spleen for the next 30 minutes about what's gone wrong with Barry. And he'll basically then say to you, so what should I do now? And you're going to sit there going, he wants an answer this very minute and I haven't had an opportunity to think about it. So a lot of these issues, just from an HR perspective, really need thought and process taking away law for the moment, just thinking about how you go about it. Our system allows Savan in this instance to have said, look, go into Diffuse to Barry's card. There is a thing in there called a performance improvement. Why don't you go into it and it will ask you a series of questions that you can put some comments down. Now, it doesn't have to be chapter and verse. This isn't war and peace, but this is your ability to tell your, your manager to give his thought processes. Also, it allows them to think of a way to move forward, an action plan. 
The benefit of all of that is, is that the manager takes responsibility and gets to write things out in a more calm and collected way. When that's finished, come back to you, Savannah says, it's all done. You can have a look at it. You can then read it. You can ask questions on it. And then you can make a decision how you go forward. We call these these types of documents system forms in our process. And the reason that is, is because they're, you know, the bouncing ball effect. It takes you from point to point. And then when you've completed these sorts of documents, they're recorded and date stamped. And the big importance of doing this across things like performance improvement, right through written warnings, out to what we call a termination decision as to whether you're going to terminate somebody is that you've gone through a due process to get you from A to B. And that if it should end up and unfortunately end up in the Fair Works Commission, you can show a process of how you've dealt with it. All too often, as I understand it, people do things, they get a letter from the Fair Work or somebody's lawyer, they'll ring their lawyer up and say, we've got somebody claiming for an unfair dismissal and that lawyer will ask you, so what have you got in writing? And the typical answer is, is I'll give you a call back in 30 minutes when I've written (laughs) it down. Now, if this whole process has occurred over a period of time, months, even a year or the like, you're not going to remember what happened in May of 2020. But if you document things, even from the singular point of a very simple item we've got in there called a conversation record, you've had a conversation with me, for example, Savannah, because I come in late every day. You can write a note in the system, you know, put it in there. You can show it to me as an employee or not. It's setting up a due process. And that's the whole purpose of what our system is all about. It's great to get people complied in the very first instance and to keep them complied with updates to policies and the like, but it's the back end from performance review right out to performance management, which is the real key parts that you need to look at. Yeah, so I'm really hearing that it's it's a combination. It's not just having the correct documentation and getting the staff members to sign and put them in a lock and key in a way. Mm. It's actually a document that moves and is quite fluid and it's linked to a process. So is one more important than the other or do they go hand in hand? They go hand in hand. If you don't get things right up in the front end, it won't work in the back end. And if you've got things right up in the front end with the documents and the policies. The, the point being though is documents and policies are not one-offs they need to be reviewed, they need to be updated. We look at all our policies constantly, we review our policies based on two things. One is changes in law and two, changes in case law where certain situations come about and the way you would interpret something is different to the way it was interpreted. And so, Savannah, in your own business, you would know that you receive updates to policies, your employees have been asked, including yourself, have been asked to reread it and re-sign it. And you might say, well, you know, I've signed the code of conduct, but no, we tell you this is an update and there are new parts to the policy which fit in with common law or employment law today. Yeah, and and I think that's important because times are changing. We're adding now working from home policy and flexible work arrangements. So obviously it's something that you do need to keep an eye on and and, and move with the times and change as as required. Work at home is a really key one at the moment because that has a lot of issues around workplace health and safety because now you're judging or allowing an employee to work at home but you can't control the environment. 
And so your policy on that and return to work need to be very strong to ensure the safety of both the employee, so they've set their environment up correctly, versus working in the office where you would have done that, and also ensuring your own that you as an employer is doing best practice. Can we dive a little bit deep into that? So I'm assuming that a lot of business owners, especially the offices in the city and are setting up working from home policies. And you've touched on the working from home a little bit. Can you go a little bit deeper into that? What are the best practices that you've seen in the working from home policy and what tips do you have? Working from home is nothing new. I know we all talk about because of COVID, but people have worked from home for day and for night. It's whether you've actually identified it. Now, specifically, I, I can't really go too much into that because that's not, again, my area of expertise. But a lot of it is about health and safety, ensuring people are set up correctly. So in your office here, when you set somebody up, a new employee, and they come to their desk, you've set it up correctly. Are the screens at the right height? Have they got the right materials? Is the phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you don't go around to somebody's home. You don't go and check that the electricity cord running from their computers, which runs right across their room, is a tripping point, okay? Anything that you consider safety in your own organisation, in the own four walls of your business environment, like we're sitting in here now, needs to be replicated in somebody's home environment. Because remembering workplace health and safety covers workers' compensation, etc, etc, etc. Somebody's working from home, they're working for you. So they're an extension of you, you during the hours that they're working with you. So you need to be careful, you need to make sure you have got people running checklists to ensure that they are doing the right things. Small business owners at one point in time will go out and hire their first employee. And and that would be quite a scary moment for them. What are your sort of tips or advice that you would have for that employer? Ideally speaking, the things that you need to do is to ensure that you're protecting yourself and your new employees. So as we talked about before, an employment contract of some type, professionally written or in our case through our system that covers your needs or covers the needs of that role. That's number one. Ideally, you'd like to be able to give them a policy or two specifically around some of the things that you have expectations to. So I think code of conduct is a really, really important one, even if there are only one person in that area as the first one that if you were going to give them, that would be what you would do. Obviously, you'd like to look at a whole lot of other types of documentation in policies and and the like. It becomes a lot more expensive, a lot of legal firms, and I would always recommend using a legal firm if you're going to do this who have a strong expertise in HR law. I don't think you would go to a legal firm who doesn't specialise in, say, something like conveyancing if you were buying a house. So think of HR law, again, in the same manner as being very much a specialised area. So those are the things that I would be looking at is in the very first instance. Barry, I wanted to just touch on probationary periods. Obviously, they're in terms and conditions and the Fair Work Act have the requirements of sort of probationary periods. But what are the benefits to employers in that period? How does that benefit the employer and employee? So from a legal sense, again, which I can't answer a lot about, the idea about having a probationary period is the ability for you to work with the new employee 
for a period of time without the fear that if you were to say this isn't going to work, you're not going to get an unfair dismissal. And there's different laws depending on the size business you have. But from an HR point of view, a probationary period is really a point of time where you as the employer can really see the strengths and weaknesses of that employee, both from what you expect them to do and very importantly, how they fit into the culture of your business. Okay, People always talk about employees and how do I get them? Well, let me say, and everyone would agree with me, it's easier and cheaper to keep an employee than it is to have to find new employees. So you get employees, A, on their ability and B, how they actually work with you. That's what you should be using that period of time for. If the person doesn't fit in the environment, that's fine. You'll move on. But if you think that person's going to fit, use that period of time that you've got to actually work with them to really get them up to the speed that you want them to get to so you can determine if that's where it's going to work. And that helps you from a legal sense that you don't then have to feel, oh, I'm going to get rid of this person or I'm going to ask this person to leave and I'm going to be sued by them for leaving. I know that the Fuse has reminders around one month. It's really important to have those reminders in Mm. a software system that tells you you should talk to someone that's only been with you for three months and talk to them again in five months. But if you carry it further and then you're looking to performance review the whole thing, Employee engagement is is really important. It's not a matter of saying, well, I've got Diffuse, so everything's going to work for me. Diffuse is a mechanism to help you work through the process. The process is about how you as an employer deal with your employees in terms of engaging with them, talking with them, both formally and informally about what they do, what they think. We had a discussion with one of our new customer success team members yesterday who identified something in one of our areas that we're having a bit of difficulty with our clients moving forward. She said, look, this is a real stumbling block. This is what I think we should do. Now, that was at her desk with me sitting on a table going, this is a great idea. And that's what engagement is with your employees. Your employees have great ideas, okay? Probably a lot better than what you've got (laughs) in your own sense because you are very close-minded, I know I am sometimes, and you get some really good ideas from people. And that's part of the engagement process. And it's not just, you should never think of HR as something that is there to just protect you, there to get the right people doing the right job on an ongoing basis. I wanted just to talk a little bit about the future. So what does the next 12 months look like in your business? Look, we have a very large foothold with one of our products in the childcare sector with a product called Child HR, which is doing great guns for us. We have a fantastic tie-in or partnership with an organisation called the Australian Childcare Alliance, who is the largest association for profit childcare services around Australia. Our areas of growth is further improvements into our software. We're looking at some really new features. We're just about to integrate with a rostering system. So it'll work very well in a lot of industries that use rostering especially where rostering has some compliance requirements to it. We're looking at further ways of educating their employees. So going a little bit outside of this pure management side and trying to tie things a lot together. The problem companies have today is that they're all using multiple pieces of software. So you're using an HR application, you're using a 
accounting application, you might be using a rostering application, you're using a CRM, you're using this one and using that one. The whole concept of the cloud was to make things a lot simpler, but everybody's doing a whole lot of different things. So we're just trying to add some features into our system, which will add more benefits to it. There is no system that will do anything. And the problem with that is, is if you tried to do it, you'd be like a general system, good at things, but not really good at things. And our endeavours is to continue to be really good at what we do. I'm looking forward to seeing the development of the Diffuse software. We we love it and we want to thank you for joining us today. You've been sharing a lot of insights in HR and HR processes. So I want to thank you, Barry. Pleasure. Great to come in here and have a chat with you today. Thank you. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.